Welcome to this very special episode of Great Minds live from the SiriusXM studio here at Advertising Week. And we have a fantastic guest and we sort of cooked this idea up together, Lizzie. And I couldn't be more pleased to talk to Lizzie Whithelm, the Senior Vice President of B2B Marketing for SiriusXM. So welcome, Lizzie. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. This is great, and, and uh, thanks for putting up with my raspy day four adver- know advertising week voice. Partying you've been you doing. Know, I, I'm a, it's a good question. I'm going to give you an answer to the question because it's a good question. The answer is none. <gasps> usually, I'm not a big drinker, but usually at the concert, we had a huge show Tuesday night at Webster Hall with P. Diddy and Buster Rhymes and Fabulous, and the place was absolutely heaving. And I know from experience that if I drink early in the week, by Thursday, my voice will be bad. Done. So I say to myself, Matt, don't drink because I don't really care. And all I had was water and my voice is terrible. So I'm not sure what that teaches me, but... I'm here for it. I like it. I like it too. I think it's going to be an extra special episode because of it. I like getting the chance to talk to you. So Lizzie, you've had a tremendous career and I want to go back, give or take close to 25 years, and talk about one of your early gigs at a great company that was sort of morphed into different things, and go back to your days at CBS Sportsline. Oh, my God. What a memory. So, funny story about how I ended up there. I was a finance accounting major in college, so probably not on a track to work in media, although flash forward to how helpful that has been for me now in my career. Um, And one of my dear friends, her husband, and remember, this is 99. So this is graduating in the spring of 99. We're on dial-up. Let's just, like, paint the picture here, right? We're on dial-up. We're carrying flip phones. We're still, you know, receiving things on printers and fax machines. That's what's happening. And so thinking about digital was not really anything you thought about because it just wasn't a thing. I was on my way to work for Merrill Lynch or go work on Wall Street, be an analyst like everybody else did that graduated with a finance accounting degree. And I get a phone call from this guy who was, again, the boyfriend of my dear friend. And he said, hey, I just took this job. He was a year ahead of us at CBS Sportsline in San Francisco. And he had played college football, so he was jazzed about it. And he's like, they have this job open in L.A. What if you did that instead? And I was like, huh, maybe I take the job in L.A. for the summer at this thing called CBS Sportsline, which I didn't even know what it was, and hedge against waiting to go to New York until after Labor Day, because who wants to live in New York in the summertime anyway, right? So I became just a sales assistant at CBS Sportsline, and all the guys that were there selling media, and at the time, you know, Sportsline was a joint venture with CBS, and it was how are we going to digitize sports content online. And it was out of Fort Lauderdale, right? And um, they just needed to stand up a media business. And so I was the sales assistant that was there for like maybe five months before I went on a call. And then NBC hired me. And then I went on another call four months later and a different company hired me. And that was the early days of digital. You just kind of hopped around to find opportunity. But CBS Sportsline sort of lost in history, but a lot of talented people Started was, their was, career was there. Was Mariani there at the time when you were yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew Mark really well from Turner because I had written the bid that brought the Goodwill Games to New York in 1998. And Mark was the head of sales at Turner at that time. A crazy guy. Very accomplished, but crazy. 
But you know what? You, it's funny talking about the word crazy. I love... In a, in a good way. In a good way. I think we were all the crazies. We were a lot of kids like me or older, more established in their career leaders like Mark who wanted to do something different, wanted to be disruptive, didn't want to work for linear TV, didn't want to go work in finance or whatever it was. So it was the land of disruptors. And I've met a lot of them at Sportsline. Yeah, yeah I love Mark. And Sportsline was a genuine disruptor. It was. And it came, you know, what you got with that job and what many of us got with early jobs in digital was a, you know, a new education in how to disrupt and how to think of new ideas and how to take something old and serve it up in a better way to audiences that wanted something new. And so it was just, it was the business school degree also that I needed at the time to understand, you know, how do you build something? Right. And today, Sirius XM, a leader in the whole digital audio space, back then that space really didn't exist at all. And the digital space on the whole barely existed. Yeah. I mean, I started on the founding team at Pandora in 06. And, you know, that was another experience. Thank God I had the Sportsline experience, though, and some confidence to jump into building out. You know, we were fighting against terrestrial. That was the mission. Steal audience from terrestrial by having a better ad experience and a better listener experience and still advertising from terrestrial, terrestrial by having something that was measurable, which in 2006, digital was measurable at that point. We didn't yet have mobile. Right. This was still, I mean, mobile was there, but it was, you know, growing. You were still trying to get preloaded on a phone. Right. It wasn't, you know, the big app store experience right. we have today. Amazing. And you also had a good run about three years, give or take, at Vivendi, NBCU, sort of pre-Comcast. It's funny, now that you're walking me through, you know, memory, all my uh, jobs and taking me down kind of memory road, that... Vivendi experience is not unlike what I felt when we were acquired by SiriusXM, where you have a mature company, really mature leadership. They've done something the same way and been very successful at it for a long time. At Vivendi, I was at a game company and they bought us. And here at SiriusXM, I was part of Pandora and they acquired, you know, the digital company. So, um, you know, it all kind of strings together in terms of just taking what I've learned in each place and double downing on the next. Fantastic story. So you had an incredible run and you're with them now in, in a different way as the company's morphed, but you spent about 17 years in sort of the first run at Pandora. That's a long time, you know. So long. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that's odd about the way Advertising Week has evolved is I've sort of had the same job for longer than anybody I know. You know, my email's been the same, my phone number's been the same, and that's odd. I never thought I would be that person. You know, I thought my career would be more peripatetic than it ended up being, certainly the last half. But that's an unusually long run. You started and just kept going up, 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 up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess I would ask you, you know, if your experience is the same as mine, I've been somewhere for 16 years, but I've had at least 12 jobs, at least 12 remits, at least 12 big challenges that I've been responsible for trying to help the business evolve around or get past. So it's always felt fresh and new. Every year feels like I'm starting over, to be honest. And if, if it didn't feel like that, I wouldn't be doing my job right, I don't think. Yeah. 
No, I agree with you completely. And the, the, there are some things I marvel at now, and I think certain things I can't figure out. Like from 2004 to 2012, it was just New York. We launched London in 2013 and Tokyo in 16 and Sydney and uh, Mexico City in 18. And we just announced yesterday here at Advertising Week that we're launching Africa. And we'll be going in February. Congratulations. Soon. soon thank you. Soon. We're bringing Kevin Hart to Africa. Oh, and that will be soon. I want to come. Uh, we'd love to have you in February of uh, 23. So pretty soon. What I can't figure out is how was I busy all year with just one? And that was before we had all the audio content and the video content and all the other things we're doing. I, but I was busy. I know, but, you know, it's, it's like the scaffolding that you need in order to build out, you know, all of these opportunities for yourself. And I just think if you're going to do it right, the scaffolding takes time. Yeah. Like the insides of anything that's great, if you rush it and you don't take the time to be really purposeful about it, you run the risk that you're just not standing on a strong foundation. Yeah. yeah. And so well that's probably why it was so painful. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of people that are entrepreneurs or are starting out. Like it's going to be 10 times more painful than you even think it's going to be. But all that work and all of that um, intelligence that you get in doing that hard work, you will lean on. Your business will be supported by for years and quarters to come. Fantastic. I'm getting a little bit of Harvard Business School and a little bit of uh, therapy at the same time here. <laughs> Let's talk about Pandora and your run there. Fantastic company. We knew a lot of the great people that worked there. I love John and so many other great people. But talk about the early days because you were there at the launch. Yeah, it was so um, the early story of Pandora is unique in that it was supposed to be a subscription product from the beginning. I don't know if a lot of people know that. The background is Savage Beast Technologies, which was the music genome project and everything that powered the recommendation engine and what ultimately became personal radio. And um, the funny story is that over Thanksgiving, they gave out some friends and family codes so that you could go try Pandora without paying for it. And by Monday after the Thanksgiving week, it had been passed around like wildfire. There weren't very, there was not a lot of security in terms of how they leveraged these codes and they kind of let it run. And so by um, January, I was already meeting with them, 06, so that would have been Thanksgiving 05 because they just knew a subscription strategy was not the way to go, that they weren't going to be able to find a mass audience in that way and that advertising was going to have to be what supported it, but they knew nothing. I mean, the first 30 employees were all music analysts and the beginnings of the engineering and tech department and obviously Tim Westergren and his passion. And I didn't think I would end up there. In fact, I went on the interview not wanting to work there. Like, no, I don't want to work in music. I definitely don't want to work. I mean, I walked into the Oakland office and the minute I got off the elevator, I was like, I definitely don't want to work here. It was disgusting. I right. mean, it was... Typical startup office, but worse, like a rip in the couch that was in front of the elevator. Not even right. a new couch, right? So very gritty. But I met the team and I fell in love with the team. And I just, you know, going back to Sportsline and going back to my time at NBC, like team mattered the most to me at that stage in my career. I'd had a couple places that it didn't work out. And it was because I didn't go with my gut around who the people were. Forget the business plan and whether it could be profitable or not. It was almost like step two for me. I just loved Tim. I loved Tom. Um, the CEO at the time was awesome too. And I just felt like I can be successful here and be additive 
they don't know anything about advertising. And so I can come in and make real impact. In fact, they knew so little about advertising that they sold the entire service to one advertiser for one month for $10,000. Wow. And that advertiser was Apple. Oh, my goodness. They ultimately, I mean, a competitor, right? But January of 2006, the entire service was sold for a $10,000 sponsorship. I mean, the most upside-down deal you'd ever seen in your life for them. Incredible. So what a great thing to walk into to be able to come in as an expert and really build what became a really successful ad-supported app. But as we sort of build the Lizzie narrative, you can see with that early experience you had at Sportsline and NBCU, I mean, you're starting a Pandora, you're probably not even 30 yet. No, no. And you come in and you know more maybe than all of them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, probably not more than all of them. I mean, I think that's naive to think that, I mean, they... Well, you certainly knew a lot. Yeah, and specific to advertising, right. of course. And I was not scared. I will never forget the meeting I had with Joe, the CEO at the time, and with Tim. And they said, you know, this is what we've done. And they walked me through this ridiculous Apple deal. And most people would probably hold their tongue, say, okay, great. Okay, oh, good for you. I was like, you guys are stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And I just remember their faces, and I, I don't have much of a filter. So I was like, oh, God, is this another one of those moments my dad is going to, you know, talk to me after I have this meeting and be like, why can't you just take a breath? They loved it. They were like, thank you. Great. You're exactly what we're looking for. It, it, we don't even, we have no idea what we're doing. I have found time and time again, and I have that same attribute as you, of a, sort of a lack of filter. And I find that senior people are so often not told the truth and they're protected and coddled. And that when you say, oh no, don't do that, that's a terrible idea, more times than not, I have found that they appreciate it. Yeah, I agree with you. And really good leaders don't want to hear the story that you've all rehearsed and figured out how to make yourself not look bad. Right. They just right. really want to know. I mean, they were passionate about the business. They didn't want to screw up. Right. Right? Like, we're all aligned. We want to grow this thing. Let's, let's do what's best for the business. You know, that's a rule that I picked up early on and it stuck with me forever and I repeat it all the time. Like, whatever is best for the business is the right choice. 100%. Regardless of who had what idea or what hierarchy is in place to determine the path going forward, the filter you put on it at the end of the day is, is this what's best for the business? And if you can't say yes, then you got to start over. Exactly. So you have a lot of, there's an old word, which I love, moxie. You have a lot of moxie. Did you work as a kid? You know, where does that come from? Your parents? That doesn't just oh happen. Did I work as a kid? I worked so much as a kid. Um, grew up in a family of three kids. Um, Real middle class, Newport Beach, California, before Newport Beach was Real Housewives and Maseratis. We're talking, you know, world post-World War II era, one-story home, you know, basic. And thank God for my dad. Everything was, how are you going to pay for that? Even at the age of six, how are you going to pay for that? And I learned at a very early age how to present my ideas um, to earn 
sponsorship. <laughs> right. And oftentimes I'll, ne- I'll never forget. I always wanted dresses. I always wanted clothes. And he would just say, no, you're just going to have to get a job. I love that you want nice things. And I don't want to tell you no, but if you want nice things, you got to go find a way to pay for them. So I started a babysitting club. I worked at a hair salon. Before I was 16, I had three or four jobs. Um, and then, yeah, I was a waitress all through college. So lots of, uh, sometimes two waitressing jobs at a time. Yeah, no, very similar. My, my first job, my mom would always cut out newspaper articles for me. And she was the only one who called me Matthew. And she would say, Matthew, this looks interesting. And the first one, I remember vividly, I delivered something called the Penny Saver. I don't oh, know if they had that in course. California. And it was uh, all classified ads. And I literally made one penny for every one I delivered. I had 200 on my route. And I would pull them in uh, a wagon like your grandma used to take to the supermarket, one of those little collapsible metal wagons. And it was heavy. For tw- I was 12. And I made $2 for delivering 200 But I was thrilled. Yes. And I learned early, you know, how that felt. And I think that, go back to that, or the summer I sold chip witches, I had my own ice cream cart on the streets of Manhattan. You know, you learn. And you also learn what it feels like to earn your own money. There's a pride there. Yeah, I find myself really um, trying to, you know, audit how I'm managing my three boys and really forcing them. Um, you know, their lives are busier than mine were at their same age. We live in Los Angeles. They're all playing sports. It's hard. But my oldest uh, said, look, you can go out one night a weekend, but otherwise you're babysitting, whether it's for me or other families in the neighborhood, because it's really the only thing you can do is a varsity rower and going to, to high school. But it's a requirement in our house. Like you have to have a job. You have to subsidize your lifestyle. Fantastic. I love that. So you rise up Pandora, great, great growth story, great brand, and uh, then along comes a change, and you become part of the SiriusXM family. Tell me about that first meeting when it came to light for you that something was afoot. Well, it was really exciting. We knew, um, based on the climate at the time for music, for um, ad-supported services, for where the content costs were going with music, that it was going to be a challenge to have Pandora living as a standalone product. And Sirius had always been a good partner, and at the time, the CEO was um, really involved in um, different you know, parts of our business, and there were friend, friendly relationships. Um, so I wasn't involved in the acquisition or any of the pieces of that, but once we knew it was happening, I was really excited. I felt like, you know, this is going to be a challenge. We are a young disruptor culture and Sirius XM was more of a mature, um, you know, structure and the tone and tempo there was definitely not wild like we were. So I knew that the culture clash could be a challenge and it was, and it, and we're still finding our way. You know, um, I'm excited. We launched SXM Media, um, which is the business unit that I run about a year and a half maybe into being a part of SiriusXM. And I was really excited about that and continue to be because it's allowing us to have a media division and a media culture. And we know that's different than content, programming, putting satellites in space, running a subscription business, you know, and all the services that SiriusXM is. 
but I think um, we're finding our we're finding our fit, and it feels like we're this um, still you know hip, you know probably not a teenager but a millennial, and we have a great parent brand that um, is really profitable and really successful. And um, the financial rigor and the planning rigor that SiriusXM has always been about, I think, is coming into the media team, which is really great because we do need to mature. Talk about taking on that role. I guess you started running the SXM media business, give or take spring of 21. We're still in sort of pandemic land. Talk about taking on that job and going out and building, you know, what is going to be an incredibly successful business alongside the core subscription business, I'm sure. But talk about doing that in the midst of a unique moment in time. It was a real challenge. I had to decide, can we be successful at launching the brand externally to the industry and put enough behind it in order to make it matter? Or, um, and or, you know, doing the same thing for our sales force and getting them comfortable with the transition because we weren't just Pandora people becoming SXM media. We were Pandora sellers, SoundCloud sellers, satellite sellers. We purchased Stitcher at the time, so we had podcast sellers. So we had this, um, you know, family come together, a family of brands, and everyone came with their own identity. And so because of COVID, we said, let's just spend you know, six to eight months, if not a year, we'll see when we open back up again, focused on our team and getting ourselves comfortable with our story and that our elevator pitch, our materials, our um, core narrative to our clients who we were still meeting with on Zoom and we were still engaging with, let's get it really tight. Let's get everyone really comfortable with, because if you can get your employee base and your sales team so comfortable with the message and it um, can roll off the tongue just in a way that whatever their previous brand did, it just goes so far in fostering your external message. And now we're at this moment where I'm talking to you, we're here at Adweek, you and I are sitting in this really cool podcast booth right now, and so now we're having that moment with the industry where we're really pushing what is SXM Media, what is this family of brands, why should you care about us, you know, we're the largest player in the audio ecosystem for streaming, satellite, podcasting, so... Um, now it's kind of like beat two or chapter two where we're really going to blow it out this year. It's fantastic. Well, I am an unabashed fan advocate and uh, believer in the power of audio. So you, you don't have to convert me. I'm already in the church. And, and my observation is we've watched sort of the different genres of media rise, fall, and some new ones emerge. You know, I would you know, posit that the newspaper industry recently some positive signs, you know, as the Guardian and the Times have moved from away from advertising out of necessity and found their footing again, sort of, around subscriptions. Magazine business, I think, you know, is on a respirator in many ways, sadly, because I think there's a place for all that. Um, and I think the outdoor business, we've seen sort of a rigid a reinvention there with digital. But audio really stands above as an incredible story of evolution where this very old medium you know, that predates television and for many, many, you know, we all have those old images of our grandparents or great-grandparents, you know, listening to the war, you know, on the radio or listening to a Joe Lewis, you know, heavyweight championship fight, you know, on the radio. 
and radio is enjoying a, a rebirth, and uh, it's almost like everything, in a sense, is new again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's two things driving that, and I, I, I agree with you. Audio is such a special medium. It's such an intimate medium. Being able to um, be, you know, the theater of the mind is something that is triggered when you're listening to audio. You have to visualize who you're hearing. I mean, of course, you can go watch a lot of audio content now on YouTube, right? You can go watch Howard Stern on YouTube or any of our um, talent. But I love this idea of just, um, and I always have, being able to fully immerse yourself into something where your brain really turns on in a different way than just viewing video, right? You're just taking in what they're giving you. And audio is different. You can fill in the picture. You can fill in the blanks. And it, there's more receptivity because of it. There's more, um, you know, I think just authenticity or, you, you know, you can make it your own in many ways. So that's why I've always loved audio, but I think this moment right now is unique because of podcasting and because of the interest many creators are now having in audio who might have favored video before. And so there's so much diversity of content, right? It's not just the three DJs that are on your terrestrial station in your market. It's you can access anybody, any topic, anything you need in the moment. You want to jump into true crime, you can do that. You want to jump into your favorite DJ, you know, you want to hear Howard Stern's morning program. You want to listen to Mel Robbins, who I had um, on stage here Tuesday and, you know, get motivated and change your life that day. You can do that. That wasn't what you and I grew up with for audio. Audio was just like, turn it on, tune in, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Right. Right. Exactly. And how important today and going forward is the automobile and the whole equation? You know, I think the automobile is having an interesting time in that I would have put a bigger bet on it being further along today, five years ago. But the supply chain crisis that hit automotive during COVID really has set a lot of new cars. And uh, well, I love when people are walking by and waving at us. Um, and the new technology, not in a place where I thought it would have been, but the future of the car is really interesting. It's obviously now a phone, right? Like your car is connected to 5g, the electrification that we're going to experience for cars moving forward, the self-driving, all of that allows you better connectivity to the car, more time maybe spent in the car and more time to engage with content. For us, we're really excited because our 360L unit, which you don't need to know what that is, it's just a internet-connected head unit in your car, will now allow for a lot more choice. We're restricted to 100 stations in a satellite experience, give or take. And now you can think about thousands of stations coming through your SiriusXM experience and ad-supported stations, maybe subscription stations, so we can start to play with the pay model a little bit more, right? So a smarter piece of hardware in the cars that has modern day software. That's essentially what happened with the mobile device. That's happening in the car and it's a huge opportunity for us to reach new audiences. And it sounds like between your technology, evolutions in technology in general, and the asset base you have between what Sirius XM brings to the table, what Pandora brought to the table, and what acquisitions like Stitcher, which is one of the go-tos for me for all my podcasts, Sounds like you've got a pretty potent set of weapons. We really do. And I think there's no example of an audience or an individual that can't find what exciting content with us, whether they can pay for it or not. They can pay with their time or their money. 
And that's not where SiriusXM was, you know, four years ago. So it's a really exciting future. Great. So if we're back here at Advertising Week in 2023 and we say, Lizzie, let's sit down and do version two of our conversation today. What do you think we're talking about that's different a year from now than what we touched on today? I think we're talking about the modernization of ad technology and podcasting. I think this is the year where we've spent the better part of the last two years building technology that will support a um, media buying opportunity in that format, buy at scale, buy against audiences, buy against our audiences or your audiences, be able to have brand safe, brand suitable triggers in place, be able to set the boundaries you want within podcasting. Yes, continue to buy into individual shows and negotiate for host reads that either are endorsements or just great ad hoc copy. Um, but I think the balance of what we know worked in streaming, which is the ability to personalize and scale and do it effortlessly, will come to podcasting this next year. And I think brand marketers will get very comfortable with that incremental audience being A, of value, which they already know, but B, something that they can more effortlessly buy, buy it programmatically, buy it against, you know, um, buy it in a way that's on par with how they buy streaming today. And it's taken us right up until now to get there. So this next year is where we'll see all those so brands start to really reap those dividends of those investments in technology. Exactly. Great. Well, you put the special in this special edition of Great Minds. Your voice actually sounds a little warmer now. I'm trying so hard. And uh, your team has been phenomenal. And uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you.